Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Blog Talk Radio. He has is he has a coach who can't quit running his mouth, and he has a coach that used to be relevant in college football. Big you, game, what? Bob. What do you, Bob Stoops? Is no Bob Stoops is irrelevant. They went eight and five last year. They got blown out a couple of times, including a bowl game. I don't think they are relevant. I know they're playing in a big game tonight in Knoxville, but cry me a river for OU. They're in the past. <laughs> trying to sell the new Blur offense, a.k.a. Chip Kelly 
We, of course, know about Memphis and uh, FedEx CEO trying to sell the Memphis, I'm about to say the Grizzlies, the Memphis Tigers. We, of course, have now also heard today, of course, at one particular point, was considered to be a shoe-in to be a number one in regards to a lot of people's minds, to be a shoe-in to be considered for a spot in the Big 12. But latest news may either, one, make that lock not so certain anymore. As 12, excuse me, 25 LGBT groups uh, sent a letter to Bob Bolsby, Big 12 Commissioner, and also sent a letter to all 10 of the uh, Big 12 presidents uh, asking for BYU to not be considered um, for Big 12 expansion. Uh, the reason was based solely on the policy uh, for BYU. BYU has a policy that some people may consider to be a bit controversial. Uh, the policy, according to the LBGT groups that signed uh, the petition, uh, they believe it discriminates against the LGBT community. And uh, they believe that uh, such discrimination uh, should not be included or welcomed into the Big 12. Uh, and Bob Bosley responded by saying that everything will be considered when determining who to appoint or elect or select uh, for either two or either four spots in the Big 12. According to Bob Bosley, he wants to make this decision. Uh, before the college football season. So since we know that we have 25 days until kickoff, we should also expect to get some answers in regards to uh, who they're going to select. Now, this is a very tangled web. I read a wonderful article uh, by uh, a friend of one of my colleagues uh, for ThankForShow.com. Uh, he writes for the BYU Cougars, uh, talking about this issue, expounding on the policy they must not act on their urges. And specifically, uh, that is where the 25 LGBT groups find to be a problem. Now, I don't know how the situation is going to unravel. Uh, This situation, of course, is something we saw take place in North Carolina when the NBA moved uh, the All-Star game, largely due to uh, a policy that was insensitive to the LGBT community, and it cost the city of Charlotte millions of dollars. Now, this is going to the BYU is going to have to face a, a tough decision. If in fact they truly want to join the Big Twelve, they're going to have to possibly ask themselves: Are they willing to revise that policy so that it adheres to similar policies uh, with the other ten members of the Big Twelve? Of course, is a school that's run by the Mormon Church, and the Mormon Church has their own belief systems, a belief system that at the time, of course, is not one that's been uh, welcomed or welcomed with open arms by uh, outsiders, I guess you would say, or non-believers. A lot of people snotted their nose when Bob Davies was uh, had to sit out. Uh, Bob Davies, of course, played for the BYU Cougars. He admitted to uh, have fornicating, and he was suspended. And that occurred during the Jennifer that era. In addition to that, um, so with that in mind, a lot of people frowned on that decision. But, you know, BYU at that particular time stood by their policy, stood by their Mormon faith, and Bob Davies actually returned back to the team the following year. Actually, uh, interesting to see how this whole thing plays out. Because millions of dollars on the line here. 
and we're going to be able to ultimately define, you know, what BYU is going to stand for. BYU, of course, legally can say that in their policy it does not discriminate against LGBT communities. However, from a public standpoint, uh, there could be an argument made that say that the policy is definitely, to a degree, insensitive to those particular communities. Uh, they, if in fact uh, a student who identifies as LGBT was to, let's say, hold hands with their partner or kiss their partner, they could possibly face suspension at the school as opposed to their heterosexual counterparts who would not face any type of suspension. So now we're going to find out about how this whole thing plays out. Uh, Bob Bolton, of course, said in, uh, in a response that, uh, you know, every every decision, the decision that will be made in, in this regard and who to select, all factors will be considered. Uh, BYU also released a statement to our LGBT coaches are all welcome on campus. And uh, it is very interesting that an LGBT uh, group who is on the BYU campus also uh, endorsed that the BYU community has supported them and also has asked for Bob Bowlesby to consider the support that they have received at the school when uh, making their ultimate determination in regards to uh, whether BYU should be included in expansion. But, I mean, this is a, a tough situation. But we're going to see how this whole thing plays out. Uh, it's definitely, I believe, it's far from over. And uh, I think that we are now living in a time where you're going to have to make a decision, either one based off of your religious beliefs or either two based off of what's best uh, for your university. Uh, BYU, of course, didn't, has done well as an independent and to a degree. They have their own BYU network. And, I mean, it's not like they're hurting for money to go to the Big 12, go to a Power 5 conference. You may have to make some concessions. We will definitely see how this whole thing plays out. I am trying to get some guest writers on from the Vanquish Foe uh, to come on the show to talk about this issue, to see how, in fact, it's been received on campus, and also to find out uh, how they hold, how um, they expect this whole thing to play out. But, of course, the Big 12 expansion, every day you have something new, more news dropping. Bob Olson met with UConn over the weekend. USF is trying to uh, make themselves appear more appealing. When you have Willie Taggart as the coach, it is definitely something that is promising. Willie Taggart is doing a wonderful job down there at USF. So all these questions, and in 25 days, hopefully we'll get some answers. Other topics that I believe are important uh, today, uh, Prince Fielder, baseball player, well, not his retirement, was medically not cleared to play uh, for the Texas Rangers. You may say, Denmark, what relevance does it have to college football? And I'll say to you guys, make sure you tune in to the rest of the show because I'm going to touch base on how the Prince Fielder injury is relevant to college football and uh, how we perceive injuries. And you look at the risk that pros are taking and amateurs are taking and how amateurs ultimately do not get the same benefits that pros will get because Prince Fielder is going to get he's not going to retire so he'll continue to be on the roster he has will be making $20 million all the way up to uh, each year all the way up to 2020 so he's not retiring he's just going to be there of course those same luxuries are not provided to players who take those same risks it's not more risks but we're going to get in that story later but like I said 
On today's show, we're going to be talking about Paul Feinbaum is not a big fan of Bob Stoops, never has, never was, and probably never will be. Uh, but to a degree, I mean, let's be real. You know, the Oklahoma Sooners have been a team that has been consistently inconsistent. When the expectations are the highest, they have kind of choked. However, when things have looked its worst, 12 months ago, people thought that Bob Stoops' era was over. The Sooners came off an 8-5 and five season. I mean, nobody knew who Baker Mayfield was. He was just a walk-on cat that transferred from Texas Tech. Yes, we knew about Joe Mixon, but it was not about what he did on the field. We knew about Samaj P. Ryan, but it was more for his arms. We knew, we did know about Eric Stryker, but it was mostly for the tantalizing hit that he that he laid out uh, Colt McCoy's brother in the uh, Red River shootout. But outside of those things, entering into last season, tastes were not high. And how did the Sooners respond? As usual, as usual. The Sooners responded magnificently. The same team that everybody thought was now too slow, the same coach that everybody thought his time had passed, entered into last season rejuvenated. He had a new staff. He fired five people, brought five new people on, brought Lincoln Riley on as the offensive coordinator, and things worked out magnificently. Baker Mayfield should have been invited to the Heisman, but he was not. But at the same point in time, you say to yourself, are we going to fall for the okey-doke again? Well, it seems as if, you know, based off of the preseason poll that just came out last week, a lot of people are falling for the okey-doke. And I, for one, find myself trying to drink the big game Bob Stoops Kool-Aid. And I say this because, I mean, come on, man. He's won. He's won championships. He's won Big 12 championships. Maybe he just needed to get a new stat. As they opened the preseason poll, ranked number three. And, you know, you think about it and you see the highlights, you see the games, you say to myself, I say to myself, and I'm sure you say to yourself, if Baker Mayfield was that good in the first year in the Lincoln-Raleigh system, there's no way that he's going to regress. And the expectation should be that he's going to only improve with the second year in the system. And then, of course, the Big 12 did the Oklahoma Sooners a solid when they also granted Baker Mayfield an additional year. So he may be able to come back next year uh, and continue to thrive in that Lincoln-Raleigh offense. But remember how the team that played in the college football playoffs last year lost to a team that finished below 500. And you say to yourself, okay, so which Sooners are we going to get in 2016? They lose their leader in Eric Stryker, who's probably one of the go down in history, one of the not only high-character individuals in Sooner Nation, but probably one of the most talented players who did the most with every little bit of talent and effort and intellect that he had. They, of course, also did lose Tapper, who's now also getting paid to play. Then you got Zach Sanchez now in Carolina fighting for that nickel spot and will likely get it. And you say to yourself, no Tapper, no Sanchez. Yeah, I mean, come on. The biggest one of them all. No Sterling Shepard. And we're just expecting, presuming, that now the Sooners are now back to the place where they not they don't reload, they don't replace, they reload. 
I mean, Sterling Shepard is going to go down in history as one of the top ten greatest wide receivers of all time. I mean, better than Mark Clayton, better than Kevin Stills, better than Malcolm Kelly, better than, well, I wouldn't say he's better than Broyles, because Broyles is NCAA greatest. But you say to yourself, Ryan Broyles, you say to yourself, can you lose that amount of considerable amount of talent and not have any hiccups? Last season, the defense struggled. Part of that is because, I mean, you play in uh, the Big 12, which is the no defense league. So the fact that they finished 37th in the nation in total defense is kind of, I mean, eh, I guess you could say that's looking at the, the cup half full. But if, in fact, you have aspirations of being able to contend and win national championships, defense is going to have to be something that's going to be played because ultimately – the level of defense that is successful in the Big 12, I mean the Big 10, that may be the Big 14, I'm sorry, I'm just being an asshole, is not going to cut it when you make it to the college football playoffs. And we saw that happen against Clemson. And so I wonder, and I'm sure my listeners wonder, I take a look and I wonder why defense, Sooners defense may, just may be good enough to win the Big 12. But is it good enough to win or contend in the college football playoffs? I really don't know. I really don't know. But ultimately, to get the questions and answers to these things, I, of course, can go and try to read to find these answers. But I, for one, like to uh, get these answers from somebody who I know covers the Oklahoma Sooners and covers them quite well. And so we're going to have a guest come on by the name of uh, Matt Holfield. He covers the Oklahoma Sooners uh, for heartlandsports.com. We've had him on throughout our countdown to kickoff series to get the answers to these questions and also to find out specifically uh, what we should expect uh, from the Sooners in regards to Big 12 expansion because everybody has a fan. Everybody's cheerleader for somebody. We've heard that Texas is vouching for <clears throat> for Houston, which i be so brass to pick Cincinnati. And all the other choices you could have chose on the East Coast, he chose Cincinnati. Uh, nevertheless, I want to find out these answers because I believe one of the things that's always awesome about the college football season is each week provides an opportunity for us to get the questions that we have about particular college programs answered. And from week to week, questions that appear to be locks become uncertain. And things that we have no clue about, and uh, he's having problems with the call number. So let's give him the call number again, and I continue to babble until I get him on the line. Technology happens sometimes, right? So bear with me. However, I mean, because one of the things that's interesting about the Oklahoma Sooners is you see that the program is now back on the rise. I'm excited to see that, you know, Bob Seuss has changed just changed the stripes. A lot of times what happens is you have the opportunity either one to be stubborn, old, and stuck in your ways, which is what I call less miles, or you have the option of trying to change with the times. 
We saw that Nick Saban, after getting beat by by Oklahoma, changed, upgraded, revised, got Lane Kiffin, brought some new life into his offense, got Lincoln Riley, out with the old, in with the new, and is reaping a lot of benefits from it. We see earlier today that Oklahoma may probably have one of the best recruiting classes it's had in a very, very long time. About 10 years ago, Oklahoma was considered, in my opinion, an elite program that had top five talent, NFL talent, first-round talent. But as the years continued to dwindle, and as, even though they won games, you saw the recruiting classes get dropped lower and lower and lower. Well, now they're back up. And the expectations is not just about this year. I'm excited about the Sooners for next year. Even though Mayfield may be back, they may not really need Mayfield to be back. But uh, I can continue jabbering. But let's go ahead and get some answers from Matt Holfield from HeartlandSports.com uh, to find out what's happening, what's up with these Oklahoma Sooners in 2016. Hey, Anthony, what's up, man? Oh, not a problem. Now, of course, you know, I was babbling until we got you on the air. But, you know, entering into the season, I posted a tweet and I said that, you know, no Tapper, no Eric Stryker, no Zach Sanchez, no Sterling Shepard. Should Norman be worried? Should Norman be concerned? Because those guys are some program-defining guys. Yeah, you definitely have more questions on the defensive side of the ball, I believe, than you have on the offensive side. When when the – when the Sooners are on the field offensively, it's, it's going to run through uh, Samaje P. Ryan and Joe Mixon. And they're, they're going to be the heart and soul of what this offense does. There's still talent at the receiver position. you got guys there like D.D. Westbrook, Jarvis Baxter. Uh, but really the, the, the playmakers initially are going to be the, the guys out of the backfield. And that's, so I think from that standpoint, you look at a rebuilt offensive line, an offensive line that has a lot of talent but not necessarily a lot of experience. But you've got those two monsters back there in the backfield, and they're going to carry the load for this team uh, to start the season while these receivers and this offense catches up. Um, when you look at the defensive side of the ball, that's where your question marks are, and that's what you're talking about. You lose you lose Zach Sanchez, you lose Eric Stryker, you lose Charles Tapper. So you've got to replace guys on all three levels of your defense. And, and you know, you get got the season opener on the road against Houston – uh, with a quarterback who has a knack for throwing the ball around the field and also the dual threat guy. So that's where that's where your question marks are going to come, and that's where you got to have an, almost an immediate answer. And then on top of that, you look at a guy like Jordan Thomas who's dealing with an off-season arrest. Do you, is he going to be suspended? Uh, because if, if that's the case and you're losing, uh, not only you're only returning a cornerback, you're losing your best cornerback that you've had in a while. Um, so, yeah, absolutely, Oklahoma fans – should have a little bit of hesitation going into the season opener and uh, and just kind of see where the answers come from. Absolutely. Again, I'm on the line with um, Matt Holfield. He covers the Oklahoma Sooners for heartlandsports.com. Now, of course, you know, one of the things that when I look at Oklahoma, I say to myself, now they have the defense, and last year the defense did well. They have the defense to win the Big 12. But do they have the defense to not only – make it to the college football playoffs, but be able to contend. Because last season, I mean, they they lost to a below 500 team in Texas. I mean, that's a rivalry game, so that's an exception. But in the Clemson game, they gave up over 300 yards rushing. And I just wonder, you know, how do they solve that problem? Because the defensive line is talented. 
they have a revolving door of a, a deep defensive line, but how do they answer those questions this upcoming season? Well, great points. And and really if you look at the if you look at the, the loss to Texas at the Cotton Bowl, you look at the loss to um to Clemson in the Orange Bowl, exact same game plan. And that's that's overpower at the line of attack, both sides of the ball. And really where that both of those losses started was the defensive lines for those respective teams just overpowering Oklahoma's offensive line. And then once you begin to shut down the offense, the, the defense is going to wear itself out as well. Uh, Texas jumped out to an early lead on Oklahoma at that game in early October. But if you remember the Orange Bowl, Oklahoma goes into the halftime with a lead over Clemson, but it's the second half that the the Tigers just kind of just shut Oklahoma down. you got to – Samaja P. Ryan was injured. Joe Mixon gets knocked out of that game. Then Baker Mayfield ends up getting banged up. And they just beat Oklahoma up. And it started with beating them up at the line of scrimmage. And that bleeds over. Anytime you can win that battle uh, at the line of scrimmage, anytime you can shut down an offense, the defense is eventually going to cave. With that said, Oklahoma was as talented on the edge of the defensive line as they've been in years. But up in the middle is where really they struggled and, uh, you know, you lose Jordan Thomas again in that bowl game and one of your top linebackers. And so you, all of a sudden you're, you're missing parts uh, on, and you don't have depth. Walker, Charles Walker wasn't in that game. And, and Clemson just attacked and attacked and attacked. I think this defense has a chance to be something special, but they're going to have to have some immediate plug-and-play parts for that to happen. They're going to have to continue what they started on the edge. You're going to have to replace a guy like Eric Stryker. And not just him. You know, you had another guy, Devontae Bond, who was who was a power guy at the linebacker position coming off the edge. You've got to replace those guys. You've got to replace a staple in Charles Tapper, a guy who's, who's making a name for himself right now with the Dallas Cowboys. Um, and then in the middle, you've got Charles Walker back, who could be one of the top – defensive line prospects in the Big 12 Conference. You've got him back. He's finally healthy and is going to enter the season at 100%. He's going to be a monster at the, at the middle and very much in the same fashion that Jordan Phillips was for the Sooners a couple of years ago. Then you get in that second level, and, and you know, all of a sudden you're looking around and you're going, where are these guys that were all conference-type players? Can the guys that come in and, and play – at that position, can they replace an Eric Stryker? Can they replace a Dominic Alexander? Can they replace a Devontae Bond? You've got Jordan Thomas, um, uh, Jordan Evans there at linebacker, who's who's the only returning starter in that position, and he's going to be surrounded by a new guy that he's going to have to get in shape. You're going to be strong at the safety um, with uh, Stephen Parker and Ahmad Thomas. Those are guys that are returning. Uh, you've got Jordan Thomas on one on one edge. Uh, one of the top corners in the Big 12, but then you got a big question mark over on the other side. Who, who's going to fill that hole left by Zach Sanchez? So the the reality is there's there's talent there on this defense, but the scary part is that it's unproven talent. It, it's unexperienced talent. And so these are guys that are going to have to live up to the height, live up to the billing, or this defense is going to collapse. So the flip side of that, is Oklahoma is going to be, I believe, better on offense than they were last year. You're in your second year with Lincoln Riley. You're going to evolve this offense even more. Not only that, you've got a returning quarterback in Baker Mayfield who's in his second year with Lincoln Riley. Um, You've got two of the best running backs in the nation in your backfield. 
I think the offense is going to be able to help out the defense initially by scoring a lot of points. And I think this is going to be probably one of the most electrifying offenses to watch in the country. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. And I think one of the things that's awesome is when you do have questions on the defensive side of the ball, there's no better luxury than being able to have an All-American quarterback that can help you stay in games and help you score points. And we're going to be able to find out this season very quickly. I believe the defense is going to grow. They're going to grow game by game. And I'm really intrigued, although the Houston game is, I believe, going to be a great game. I, I expect it to be a shootout. But I'm really looking forward to seeing how they stack up in the matchup with Ohio State because I believe that is going to be the not only a, the season-deciding game but also a program-deciding game in regards to finding out how the Sooners' season will be defined because they may win that game, but they also could lose that game. If, in fact, they lose it close, I think that could also uh, play a role in uh, deciding if, in fact, they make it to the college football playoffs. No, I agree 100%. I, I, I think that the game in Houston – I think it's going to be a blowout, uh, not a blowout game. I think it's going to be a, a shootout game where Oklahoma is going to be able to use a little bit of power with the, with the running backs to control the clock and try to keep Greg Ward off the field. Uh, but I think I think Houston's going to score points, and I think Oklahoma's going to score points. And Oklahoma's going to see, really, in that game, they're going to get a little bit of a preview how they're going to stack up against the spread offenses of the Big, Big 12. How are, you, how are you going to look against Baylor? How are you going to look against Oklahoma State? How are you going to look against West Virginia? You get a little bit of a glimpse of that when, when you play Houston because they're going to run a whole lot of offense that looks like what the Big 12 brings. But then when you get into Ohio State, it's a, it's a whole different monster. You're going to get a look Absolutely. at uh, what it looks like to play a team of power. And, and, and the Ohio State Buckeyes, they, they can spread it out, but they would just assume just line up in eye formation and run over you. And so that where, where Houston's going to be a test against the secondary Ohio State's going to be a test against the defensive front seven. And so you, in the first three weeks of the season, the first three games, Oklahoma's going to get their defense tested in a way that they may not have a stretch like that the remainder of the season uh, with this type of pressure against the defense. So whoever wins, whoever wins that game in Norman, I think has an inside track to be in a top four team and to make it into the college football playoff. Whoever loses that game – is going to have to, I think, work their way back up. Absolutely. Now, of course, we do know I opened the show talking about Big 12 expansion. Again, I'm on the line with Matt Holfield. He covers the Oklahoma Sooners for HeartlandSports.com. Now, according to reports, they say that the Oklahoma Sooners favor or prefer Cincinnati be added to uh, the Big 12. Why, why Cincinnati? I don't get it. Explain that to me. Well, and I don't think it's just Oklahoma. I, I think Oklahoma is in favor of expansion, but I think they're in favor of expansion that makes sense. I, I think West Virginia is very much on board with Cincinnati, and I think so is uh, Iowa State. And the reason why is you look at the geographical fit, footprint of the Big 12, and there are several schools that make sense. Houston makes sense because all of a sudden ground that you gave up to the SEC when A&M left you can get some of that back by getting that Houston market back by putting the Cougars in the conference. But West Virginia, they're, they're, they're on an island. They're out there all by themselves. Right. Ohio is a very fertile recruiting ground. And if you, if you get Cincinnati, not only do you get some sort of a bridge between the rest of the Big 12 and West Virginia, you also get a little bit of a pipeline into the state of Ohio. And there's some pretty dang good football players that come out of Ohio. And so just as the same way – uh, the same way that 
Houston makes sense for geographical and a, a recruiting standpoint. So does Cincinnati. There's not a lot of big schools in the state of Ohio. You're not going to get Ohio State to lead the Big Ten to come to the Big 12, but you can get a footprint in that state if you're able to grab Cincinnati. And where Cincinnati is, you, you've got a really good bridge. It's right there in between Big Ten and SEC recruiting ground. You've got Kentucky right there. You've got Ohio right there. And all of a sudden, you're able to kind of bridge a market, not, and you, you give – you give West Virginia some sort of a lifeline, but you bridge a market there uh, with recruiting and with television uh, packages that you're not currently covering. And so that's why it makes sense to me. You know what? You convinced me. I now understand why Cincinnati makes uh, Who will be joining the Big 12? I want to thank you for coming on to the show, and I definitely want to have you on throughout the season as we uh, follow the Sooners uh, make that track to the college football playoffs. You bet, Anthony. Give me a, give me a call anytime, bud. Absolutely. Wow, I really was not understanding Cincinnati at all. But after that call, I totally get why it makes sense. West Virginia don't want to be by itself. It sucks to be by yourself. And, hey, at the end of the day, it's all about marketing. And even though Cincinnati is not good, I mean, their basketball team is okay, it does provide another market. It does provide another avenue for uh, satellite camps for Big 12 teams to go to Ohio. Wow, wouldn't that be crazy? So it makes sense now. I definitely do understand it. So, yeah, thanks, uh, Matt Holfield, uh, for coming on and sharing your thoughts. Again, he writes for Heartland Sports. Like I said in the opening of the show, uh, I was going to touch base on uh, Prince Fielder and the relevance of his neck injury. Now, Prince Fielder, of course, we do know in the Major League Baseball they sign contracts, and those contracts are guaranteed. He has, I believe, $80 million left on his contract right now that is guaranteed. And although he has not been medically cleared to play, he will not retire, and he will continue to collect all of that $80 million. And then he'll retire in 2020. And like I said before, you say, Denmark, what does it have to do with college football? I don't know, for me, it made me think about how the risk of injury that professional athletes take us take on. But in taking those risks, they're provided the security, at least some type of financial security, the NBA because of a large heart. But he signed a $100 million deal with the New York Knicks, and he reached a settlement. So he's set. However, college athletes, who run the same wind sprints, who work out and do the same lifts, who put on the chin strap, put on the cup, put on the face mask, put on whatever, do the same thing that these these pro athletes do, but they're not given the same security. And so when, in fact, they find themselves injured or concussed or no longer able to play, they're stuck. I saw a story today, North Carolina State, he was a redshirt sophomore. He had to retire for medical reasons. Now, for one, I do give kudos to the universities because it's always important for them to look out for the best interest of the athlete health-wise. However, it does make me wonder, what happens next? Yes, we hear story about, you know, Tell Pharaoh getting the medical treatment to help him being during his time when he was partially paralyzed. But how are they supposed to live their life? Prince Fielder, of course, is no longer going to be able to play baseball so due to his neck. But last week, a Georgia offensive tackle 
had to retire. Why? Because of a neck injury. Now, at the young age of 23, he will be entering into the workforce injured. I mean, just think about it. It's possible that he could have suffered a neck injury that will prevent him from being able to work a job. And also, his medical expenses will be paid by the universities. How is he supposed to live? I know you'll say Denmark, but hey, he's a college athlete. Denmark, he's an amateur. But I say to myself, how will you distinguish or differ the same blood, sweat, and tears that Purity is not having to worry about anything for the rest of his life compared to the young men like Telfero from Penn State who uh, was paralyzed, however, faithfully recovered, and also the Colton, the Colton Colton kid I just told you about from North Carolina State. Entered into the workforce at the age of 22, 23 years old with a bad neck, bad back. What type of job prospects do these guys have? I know that these guys get an opportunity to uh, get a free education. I know that free education is something I wish I had because I'm paying back loans upon loans upon loans. I'll be paying back loans when I'm dead 50 years' time. So, nevertheless, what financial security or lifeline troubling and something that's truly concerning? Because I know we're going to roll our eyes and say, that why don't Prince Fielder retire and not collect the money? And I will say, why should he retire? He worked hard for the money. He signed the money. Hey, and that's what was in the contract. But at the same time, I, find, I can't find myself ignoring that these college athletes who suffer these career-threatening injuries that prevent them from playing ball and have long-time effects on their abilities to either, one, stand up for an extended period of time, or either, two, prevents them from being able to at least get an entry-level job once they graduate. I say, what are their financial prospects? At the age of 22, 23 years old, due to a football injury, are they forced to have to file for disability? And we know that disability does not provide you with the lapse of luxury that, of course, they may have been able to exercise and get themselves if, in fact, they did not play, if, in fact, they weren't injured, if, in fact, they did not have to take the same risk to ensure that there are no additional concerns once they, in fact, have to retire due to a medical condition. But that's just something I want you guys to think about because it's a lot of things that a lot of times that people don't consider. At the games, we applaud and clap our hands when they're escorted off the field on stretchers. But after that, we kind of forget about them. We may hear about them having to go through rehab, like the young man from uh, Rutgers, who, of course, now also works for ESPN. But a lot of times we forget. But these young men have to find ways to live their life. And although, yes, their medical expenses may be paid, but what quality of life do they have compared to a pro athlete who may be injured and still has financial security to live in luxury? Well, hey, I guess that's the price you pay. That sounds heartless, but it seems as if that's the underlying answer. But let's move on. Let's talk about something else because we know there's always something else to talk about. One of the things I found myself doing when I was looking at the Oklahoma schedule, I said to myself, Oklahoma, every year, time in, time out, you can count on it. They're going to find themselves losing games they shouldn't lose, and they'll find themselves winning games they possibly should have lost. 
It's happened every year during the box. I'm at Hopefield State. They have a lot of questions in regards on the defensive side of the ball. And although the Big 12 now is an air raid type of conference, ultimately the air raid leaves you potentially exposed to losing to another air raid team that just so happens to throw more touchdowns than you can, throw more touchdowns than you do. And I just look at Texas Tech's coach Mahomes, who I believe is the best quarterback in the Big 12. I'm sorry, Baker Mayfield. But Texas Tech, I think about West Virginia Skylar Howard. Of course, think about whoever the hell lines up for Texas. And I say to myself, hey, addition to Houston, in addition to Ohio State, have the potential to turn what looks like to be a potential promising return to the college football playoffs into another 8-5 season. It can happen so quickly. If the defense struggled with Zach Sanchez, who's going to be a starter in the North Carolina for the Carolina Panthers, if the defense struggled with Eric Stryker, who is also now fighting for a roster spot with the Buffalo Bills, if they struggled with Tapper, who was making noise in training camp, if the defense, if the offense thrived and was inconsistent with Sterling Shepard, who is going to be the starting slot man for the New York Giants. I say, man, all those guys are primetime players. They're going to be making plays in the NFL. If those teams weren't able to consistently play at a high level with those guys, the hell are we thinking to expect that they can be able to do it with these guys? I know that Joe Mixon is a beast on the field. I know that Samaje P. Ryan is a beast on the field. But unless you plan on running the wing team, I just have a lot of questions. When you have questions, in 25 days, baby, we'll get answers. I want to thank you guys for tuning in to Countdown to Kickoff. Uh, Our show will continue. Don't miss it. You can subscribe to the podcast. Remember that sports gives us an opportunity to take a time out from life and all the things that have a tendency of stressing us out. Thank you for taking a break with me. Stay tuned to sports. See you next time. Peace. Watch this.